Welcome to episode number 108 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording March the 7th, 2021. My name's Eric. I'm the host of the show, based in Southern Ontario, a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. As a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events and created an uh, emergency preparedness company to help people be better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. I'm going to lock these show notes down, Ian, and then you can't change them, edit them, or screw me up. Because, yeah, this has been going on long enough. Within one minute, I would have had you for sure. You would have. You, you still got me to bungle it up. All right. My name is Ian, <laughs> and I live on Vancouver Island. I'm a student preparedness, pod note, uh, podcast, show note, practical joker, target shooter, and my pharmacist is <laughs> mediocre handyman. Alan. Alan. Huh. I guess we'll uh, go to Jeff. I'm Jeff. And I, yeah, I'm Jeff. I live in uh, Southern Ontario or Central Ontario, I guess. I'm my own handyman, target shooter, and jack of all trades, but master of none. Uh, I was in emergency services for over 32 years, and like Eric, noticed an overabundance of people wanting someone else to do their work for them, and I vowed to not be that guy. Uh, I grew up on a small Harvey farm uh, when I was young and learned early about uh, being prepared. And apparently I'm an overall swell guy and a mainstay of the prepper community. <laughs> Had to put something in there. Josh. Oh, there you go. <laughs> hey, I'm Josh. I'm from central Alberta and I'm a heavy haul operator trainer up in the oil sands. I've been into prepping for about 10 years. I'm a sports shooter, hunter, and uh, jack of all trades learning kind of a guy. Uh, that's about it. And a caster. Awesome. Uh, Want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? You can buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch at prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help the, keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. We uh, might even I, use some of the proceeds to get uh, Alan a better internet connection. Perhaps. Yeah, also, if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad. Or if there's just a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some uh, molten content for you in this episode. <laughs> We're going to start off with some preparedness-related news articles. Uh, next, we'll let you know what we've done for our preparedness since the last episode, and then we're going to get into the main topic, uh, getting the lead out. Right on. So let's move into some news. So I guess we'll skip over Alan's for now until he comes back. But yeah. uh, first one I had was uh, basically an article from the Vancouver Sun, which is uh, regarding the Douglas Lake Ranch, and the, another court case got settled with them. It's the largest ranch in Western Canada, I believe, uh, if not Canada in general. And uh, the latest court case says no public access to Crown Lakes allowed, which is very interesting. So I guess the, the court settled and said no matter what, the public has no right to access public lands. Interesting. Not so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, to give you a bit of background for the guys, the listeners that don't know the story is, uh, obviously this ranch is massive, and it it stocked a couple lakes of their own with their their own fish. But the problem is that the government has legal tent or legal, I guess, title to those lakes, and so the local fishing game club said, "Listen, we're a fishing game club. We'd like to go fishing on these lakes. Can you at least provide us with just a private, like a a path? We'll walk in. We don't have to take a car in or anything, but we'd like to access those lakes, and they're fairly, you know, substantial good, good lakes." And the rancher said, nope, private property. And that's when this court case went back and forth now in the court system, I think three times now. And basically it's kind of precedent setting because in BC, we don't have a public right-of-way law or anything. And the fact is that basically, so for example, southern Vancouver Island here is all private land. So as soon as you get behind the fence of your own property, you're on 
what amounts to private forestry land. You're not allowed to access any of these lakes behind us on the on the island. So you got some of the some world class fishing there that you're not allowed to go to, even though it's government lakes. Um, so it's pretty ridiculous. But I guess with enough legal money thrown behind a, a rancher, you can get the the courts to agree to pretty much anything. Hmm. That is interesting. That is. Yeah. So that that's pretty horrible for <laughs> outdoorsy people that want to practice their outdoor skills, and uh, then they start selling off uh, land and making it private, and before you know it, you can't access anything. Because, I mean, there, there's going to be no end to that, right? Like, define private land, right? I mean, there's also... That's a heck of a way for people to start putting up a, just a really large cabin beside that lake, and, you know, float planes coming in, clients, all that kind of stuff, but the public will yeah. never access it. Well, that's a good and point. That, for example, say if you just buy land that, you know, across the only road to a lake, I mean, that means that basically they can't, they can't access it. You know, or whatever. Like there, there's all sorts of ways around it, and you know, and I'm I'm not picking on them or anything else. But same thing. If there's a land that's in dispute, such as you know, BC has 110 percent of the province under land claims right now, and therefore, is it private land? Is it crown land? Uh, whose is it? And in which case, now you can't access anything on there. So that's going to be very interesting. Hmm. Anyway. Um, Second article I had was from uh, the Business Insider, and uh, China wants to move 250 million farmers from the uh, countryside to the cities because they figure they're going to have more efficient farms. They don't want all those people in the countryside. They want them clumped into cities to make them nice and easily controllable. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, I mean, like, if China's doing it, it must be a great idea, right? Well, it sounds really? like another great leap forward, right, where they're trying to uh, modernize and urbanize their cities and stuff, and 250 million farmers just yanking them off the land. I can't imagine the productivity of the land is going to immediately uh, keep pace or stabilize or anything else. So, What could go wrong? Yeah. Again, very interesting. Alan, you had something? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I thought we had already gone past me. Um, we did. <laughs> a uh, Montreal woman is facing $4,100 in fines in an impounded car after she defied curfew and ignored some road closure signs. Now the road closure the road closures were up to detour around a water main break and I don't know what the result of that was but uh, the defined curfew part was the uh, um, was the was the really interesting one she got a number of tickets for uh, for being out too late and going in places she shouldn't have gone. Hmm. That's interesting because like uh, I wonder if it falls under the Emergencies Act which hasn't been activated in Canada it's just a provincial thing right now. Is curfew would be would a curfew be unconstitutional if it's provincial? Well, I suppose not if you're in that province. Yeah. Uh, then, like the, emer the Emergencies Act gives a, gives the provinces a lot of powers. But it hasn't been actually officially enacted. That's the thing. So it's all provincial yeah. dictates right now. Well, but in Ontario, like in Ontario, where they they have authority over Ontario. I, mean, I imagine each province has their own. Because we are yeah, they're they've all declared separate. They've all yep. declared separate states of emergency, <clears throat> right? Which gives them certain powers under yep. different provincial acts, but. I'm ah, sure. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of challenges in court after everything kind of settles down. I think that's absolutely correct. Yeah. 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 So far, I think everybody that's challenged a uh, COVID ticket is one. So it's because nobody's showing up to court. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're pretty loath to give up their powers too. So I mean, yeah. they're oh, yeah. they're using it for everything. Yeah. Yep. So. All right. So I've got uh, I've got one here from uh, Toronto Sun. And I just thought it was kind of a fun one to throw in here because why not? Uh, it's in regards to CDC's uh, zombie preparedness uh, rises again during pandemic times. So it's kind of a just a, a funny article. They, they're they trying to kind of add some humor to things and 
reminding people to you know have an emergency pa- uh, an emergency plan have a have a kit um, you know that kind of thing but they're they're putting kind of like a zombie sort of spin on it which you know bring on 2021 on the zombies I mean what else is there at this point like the, the aliens I think we've uh, we've successfully proven that those are around um, it's it, we got we gotta get something else because we don't do one crisis at a time anymore apparently no, no, just do, let's just do them all back to back, get it out of the way. So next up is zombies, so. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Jeffy had one as well? Yeah, I just kind of threw in a link there from the Washington Post just about the uh, the earthquakes in uh, New Zealand there last week. Oh, yeah. the, they had a group that had about, uh, I think, three of them in one day, and the biggest one was a magnitude of 8.1. So thank goodness it was hundreds of miles out in the middle of the ocean. Uh, they did have a tsunami warning, but nothing really came of it. But had that been 100 or 200 miles closer to land, they'd have been in. Uh, they'd have been in a world of hurt. So just shows again, you never know when something's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, those three were a fairly short order too. Were they like three in like the space of just a few hours or something? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, it's crazy. But thankfully, nothing huge came from it, so that's good. Yeah, it wasn't a Haiti all over again, so. Yeah, yeah, that could have gone badly. Well, shall we move into what we've done lately for preps? Sure thing. So, for myself, I got out to the local uh, ham repeater site, finally. It's been, uh, made, a, made a couple attempts over the last little while to get out to out to the site and to see, uh, see where all the magic happens behind the, the repeater, so that was fun. And uh, I may have... Uh, taken over actually looking after one so we'll see how that pans out yeah so cool there's uh there's one that's in a, a little known location that uh, i may or may not have access to so i'm going to start uh possibly maintaining that one so put nice. the uh the, the advanced ticket to use without giving away offsec or anything else is uh is a backup power supply usually kind of a standard operation with a repeater do they usually re- rely on grid power or something yeah the one that i went to uh it's got some backup. There's, there's not a lot. There's a couple hours of backup to it. If they had to get further, there are generators around. They could run cables to, to get it. But for general day-to-day, you got a couple hours for it. And really, the where it's located, there's not a lot of power outages, knock on wood. But mm-hmm. they, they've got enough for a couple hours. And if they have to get out there, they can. But, the, but at least they have the ability to plug in a generator and go, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the one that I, I may or may not be starting to look after has uh, some pretty big diesel generators. So it's fine. Nice. Yeah. So, what does a repeater draw for power? Uh, it's, uh, you know, what I, I'd have to look at the uh, the draw. I didn't get into really the the details of, of how much power it was pulling. Um, so, I'll have to get back to you on that one. Do better, Eric. I know. I, I helped. I helped put in a two twenty repeater and put some stuff in a rack, and then we called it a day. So, <laughs> I wasn't going to get pushy and ask for all the specs and details. Who's this new guy that wants to know absolutely everything? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you know, I'd have to. I'll get back to you on that one. All right. Well, for myself, uh, pretty slack week again, I got to say. Um, yeah. Well, it just boils down to uh, more chop sawing, uh, getting all the 16 uh, inch lengths of firewood kind of lined up for all the medium sized stuff. So I did that for like a day, uh, which was a lot. And then ended up burning a bunch of underbrush because trying to, you know, beat that burn ban before it happens. I think it's April 1st. Uh, then I can't run any more open fires. So uh, trying to get all that done ahead of time. Uh, took care of some, uh, went to the range that, you know, what, two weeks ago with the daughter there, and we ended up uh, cleaning it all up this week, and actually sold everything I picked up already, which is good, so I got actually a box right here ready to go right now, so 
Yay! Free money. Um, let's see here. Other than that, I got the lockpicking set from Alan in the mail, so that's good. And I started watching some videos, but I have yet to actually break it out and try. So, baby steps. I'm working on it. <laughs> one, um, one step at a time. Find yourself a cheap, uh, cheap padlock and go to town. Yeah, so other than that, I had a little bit of a minor adventure in the house everybody was laughing at me about here earlier. Um, I tried to save a little money and uh, change my iPhone battery. This is like the fourth battery I think it's gone through, and I was paying 100 bucks a shot to get the battery replaced every time. So I thought I'd save some money, quote-unquote. Uh, I'm still laughing at you, just for the record. Yeah. Oh, yeah, same here. So, so I saved some money, spent, uh, was it, 20 or 30 bucks from the Amazon uh, spare battery set, which came with its own tools and everything else. And despite some good instruction from the Island Mentor and watching a few videos, I managed to short out the... Uh, the lithium-ion battery and create a fire that was about three seconds of duration that managed to flash up in my face and fill the house with smoke. And luckily it was on a cookie sheet uh, with a nice little sheet on it, so I was able to heave it outside. Um, yeah, but that was pretty to toxic smoke, I gotta say. That was not, not cool. But, yeah, lithium lithium does not yep. like to burn. It, it's it's nasty. Yep. There, there's nothing um, nothing class A about those, uh, about those, about those, those phones. Yeah, no so, natural uh, materials there. For the listeners, they could have a little giggle, and that's uh, that. What was my old iPhone? So it's uh, it, it's nice and, and charred now. Everybody Not only are the that. listeners giggling, so is the panel. Yeah, that's all right. How many inches of beard did you lose in the adventure? Uh, well, actually, yeah, I was actually kind of worried about that for a little bit, but uh, luckily I managed to maintain it. So I didn't have any beard wax into that day, so I guess I was pretty lucky. Lucky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, other than that, uh, I don't think really else much was going on. Just a little bit of house maintenance here and there and just kind of kept her sedate. So burned up the rest of your list is what you're saying? Well, yeah, I actually I burned up the rest of the last of my cash too with getting the new iPhone, so that was, that was not cool either. I've totally been there, done that before. It sucks, but lesson learned. <laughs> uh, well, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been on. Um, since then, uh, let's see, I took a trip to the... The, uh, the more remote parts of the province of Ontario stopped in and saw Eric along the way. Yep. Um, picked up my my vehicle radios or my um, well, one might be a vehicle radio, one might be a base station. I'm not sure yet. We'll figure it out as we go. But uh, picked a couple of radios from Eric and uh, delivered some lock goodies to him. Uh, yeah. Went on, carried on from that trek to go finish my emergency medical responder qualification. Uh, so I did that and. Uh, stopped into Cabela's along the way because I think that's a mandatory stop. Bought myself a new knife because I can. Um, and then, what did I do? Uh, um, yeah, now I'm getting set up to share my first aid knowledge to a wider audience. And I've actually started building some um, some props and stands to be able to practice lockpicking and door access uh, without actually damaging things that we rely on for security. Nice. Got some new tools coming in and Hopefully they show up at some point this week, and I can actually prototype something that I can build here in here in Canada to do some uh, do some really some really interesting things. And uh, when that comes out, it'll be we'll probably be able to do a whole episode just on that. So awesome! Stay tuned for that. Good. Yep, that's me, Josh. Josh. Well, I got a little bit of range time in. Tested some loads that I made up. Uh, been doing a little bit of reloading. Studying for my ham radio test or for the, nice. for the license. Uh, a little bit of uh, rotating and organizing the food, checking those best before dates at the back of the shelf. You know, found a few that were a little questionable, so I ate those. You know how it goes. <laughs> yep. That's about it. <clears throat> awesome. 
Jeff. Well, I uh, made my monthly trip to Costco and uh, loaded up and spent the weekend doing a bunch of food prepping, uh, getting a bunch of stuff in the freezer. Love my Instant Pot. Best invention ever made. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I did uh, also studying for my uh, my ham test. We may be on the same course, uh, Josh. I don't know if you're with Al uh, Sundays and Thursdays. Haven't booked yet. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it's good. It's uh, it's a little difficult for an old person like me who hasn't been in school for thirty years to recapture it, but uh, it's good. I'm getting the hang of it and uh, doing some of my studying tests, so I'm hoping to pass with honors. Nice. Thanks again for the resources, Ian. That really helps. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, for anybody that wants uh, extra, I guess, software to help with your ham studying, just drop us an email. We can certainly arrange to, to get you on there and get you some uh, ham puzzles and some uh, some practice tests that actually give you some basic answers and everything else if you don't get it right. And yeah, we've got some good ham study aids if anybody needs some. Yep. Don't Dude. forget, all, all the questions are publicly available, and those are going to be the questions you're going to get. So take advantage yep. of it. Yep. There's, I mean, there's only 900 to memorize, but yeah, well, that's funny. If, if you can do that, you can pass with honors without any trouble. Just if it was 905, that'd be a problem. But 900 is no problem. <laughs> they all start to look the same, right? Yeah, they just start to look the same after a while. Oh so yeah, it's, it's fine. <clears throat> when in doubt, answer C. You'll be fine. C, B's and C's yeah. get degrees. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, hey, let's move into the what main they, topic. What do they call the doctor that graduated the bottom of his class? Oh, here we doctor. go. I couldn't beat him. Doctor, yeah. there you go. It, doesn't, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter where you finish as long as you finish. That's this right. is true. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move into the main topic, shall we? All right. So, why are we talking about uh, lead and lead smelting? Well, I'm hoping that uh, we're going to find out that there's some cost savings involved. Um, Obviously, there's an ammo shortage going on right now, so any workarounds on this is going to come in handy. Yep. Uh, peace of mind knowing that you have like a lifetime supply of lead ingots sitting in the backyard is a, a, would be a great thing to have, I guess. Uh, I'm hoping that during the course of the podcast, we might learn that it's a particle skill and uh, take it from there. So mm-hmm. uh, we brought a couple of subject matter experts on here. Uh, one yep. is a reloader, and, and Josh, I believe, has been working with lead quite a bit. Uh, yep, so yeah, I, so I guess the first thing we should talk about, and Alan, this is for you, safety talk. Uh, let's talk about the health risks uh, with lead. Uh, can you tell us what to, to worry about, what to look out for? Yeah, we've got, uh, well, obviously there were some people back in the day, they used to solder cans shut, and they eventually people went crazy, like on the Franklin Expedition and places like that. So ingestion's a huge hazard. Um, most of the exposure you're going to get is either through vapor, but that's typically through, through firing ammunition without uh, good ventilation. But the rest of it's ingestion, so smoking, eating, um, anything that gets it on your fingers and, and somehow into your into your GI tract or wherever, even skin absorption can be bad. So it's good to use uh, basically latex gloves for handling alloys and things. Uh, when you're when you're melting, the the lead doesn't get quite hot enough to actually produce the vapors off the off your pot. But there's another probably more hazardous area with lead in your reloading area, which is your tumbler, because it's dust essentially. So if you don't want to use that inside, but they've done testing where there's a, a tumbler right there on the table and, they, and they're trying to actually detect uh, the lead that's in the air and it doesn't go off beside a casting pot, but it will go off like crazy right beside a tumbler. So you got that thing in the house, you might want to move it out. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I used the, uh, I started off with the, the dry media tumbling that went over to the stainless steel pins and water and better it's, idea. it's outside, but actually, yeah, total difference as far as like dust created and everything else. And I feel better about it because, I mean, even if you get the water on your hands, it's going to be less, I guess, concentrated toxins and easier to wash off, of course, too, right? Yeah. 
for sure. And then there's, of course, the uh, the whole idea where it's very hot, burny, burny. So you might want to use proper PPE, uh, you know, safety eyewear. Uh, when you're melting, if you're melting down and reducing uh, raw products like pipe or, uh, or wheel weights or anything like that, you know, full coveralls. Uh, I've got some stuff set up on a table over here. I'll show you my, I've got a full face respirator, a P100 that I use because there's foam backing on some of the wheel weights and that's pretty nasty. The, um, just some of the fumes and smokes that come off that, that pot primarily when you're in the first phase of, of getting it down into ingots, it's, it's pretty foul. So you really want to make sure that you're well ventilated. Even if you're casting inside, it's no problem, but, uh, you can use like a range hood or something like that, or you can, you know, create a breeze, open up a door, blow a fan across your workbench, stuff like that. Fair enough. Um, and you mentioned uh, water, I guess. Is there a problem with, like, uh, water hits lead when it's hot and everything else? How does that react to it as uh, steam? Well, if it's on the surface, it'll <laughs> yeah. skip. It, yeah. It'll like, it, But it's when it gets subsurface that's the real problem. If you had, a, say, a, a pot of molten metal and then you had, a, say, a wet wheel weight or something like that and you threw it in and it's submerged, it creates a steam explosion, which will em empty the whole pot right onto the ceiling and into your face. So hmm. probably not great. Probably a good note to, for uh, for fishing yeah. guys to deal with. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned when it was burning stuff off there, like there's actually a bunch of, uh, you know, obviously contaminants before you get pure lead that you got to clear out and everything else. Um, I know that you're going to talk, probably talk about scooping stuff off and everything else, but uh, what's this fluxing all about? How does that work? Well, it's got a, it, it's basically you can use any kind of, uh, not any kind, there's many different things you can use as a reduction agent. And what it'll do is like you could use wax, beeswax, paraffin, uh, sawdust works well. Uh, there's a bunch of commercial fluxes, but the idea is, is that it, you stir the flux into the molten, into the melt, and then it binds to the impurities and brings it to the surface. And it also helps to bring the tin, to recombine your tin and other metals in your alloy back in for better castability. So you don't want to waste those. Um, but basically it's to clean the alloy, take away the impurities. And in some cases you can put a, a bit of flux on top to create a barrier, uh, to stop oxidization. So as, as your, as your pot sits there molten, it'll essentially oxidize on the top and you can prevent it. And that's a very good step to, especially if you're using a bottom pour pot and not breaking that surface tension to keeping a nice clean pot. Um, so yeah, before we get too deep into the rabbit hole here, let's talk about the different types of stuff. So when you're scrounging stuff, you're going to come across a bunch of metals that you're looking to you to use. Um, can you tell us or talk briefly about differences between like tin pewter, what is antimony or antimony? I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah. And uh, you know problems with zinc and all that stuff. Yeah. So I've got. I'll just flip you around here. I've got a little bit of a table set up. So there's a bunch of stuff that you can that you can get. Uh, so this is going to be basically berm mining, just reclaimed uh, lead, range gold, basically. You can re reduce that. You've got your clip-on wheel weights here, and these are the stick-on wheel weights. These are going to be more pure lead. And then you've got, this is stuff I've melted into ingots. Uh, wheel, uh, these are going to be, yeah, six pounds, eight ounces. So these are roughly one-pounders. So that's the two most common um, places you can get easy access to um, metals, but the thing is, is that there's a million places to get it. Uh, you can go and you can get uh, stuff from scrap metal recyclers. It's pretty, it, it's pretty pricey depending on spot price. I think I sent you a link in for spot pricing in Canada. Yeah, I saw. But that. yeah, so it, it depends on what you're buying and and if they'll want to deal with you as a private citizen or not. That's definitely one way to go. Um, all the rest of that. 
the rest of the options are finding just those little deals in garages and people uh, that people will have. It's found in the weirdest spots. Sometimes estate sales, uh, pipe, all the rest of that stuff. Lead sailboat keels in your area, maybe. Yeah, actually, you know, I'd heard some rumblings, rumblings about that, but I heard it's like a fifteen hundred pound chunk, which is, sounds yeah. great, but I don't know how I <laughs> rip it out and split it. <laughs> I don't know. Some people oh, use an axe. Or... Yeah. Well, well, people people have varying methods for doing it, but it's usually brute force, either that or a tiger torch and some kind of a catchment system to kind of just get it into into chunks. But yeah, break up the air chisels. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, some of the other metals you were talking about, I guess I'll go back yeah, for a like walk said, again. Kill. I can't. I think it's breaking up here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, tin and pewter, I've got it set and made into these little cookies that you can add into your pot. But basically, the uh, beer steins that you have with the glass bottom, you can just cut them up with tin snips. And you can weigh them up and out and throw them into your pot, and it basically sweetens up your sweetens up your your mix so that it, your molds fill out better. Um, you can also buy it the most expensive way possible, like this, the old solder, but uh, it's pretty expensive stuff. So awesome. So, and what's the uh, antimony or antimony? Yeah, antimony is usually found in in clip-on wheel weights, and it's one of the reasons that. Uh, Clip-ons are so popular because it allows uh, people to water drop and harden their, their wheel weights. So lead without or lead alloy without antimony will not harden. But if you were to take a, a clip-on wheel weight alloy and you're straight from the, from the mold, you were to drop it in a bucket of water, it, it gives it great hardness. And people would use that for more magnum handgun or rifle rounds uh, just, just to get that characteristic. Or buckshot is great hardened. Uh, most high high quality shot like pheasant shot is uh, for shotguns is usually high antimony so that it deforms less in a pattern and that's why clip-ons are so desirable because of their the ability to quench them and so you basically just as soon as you cast them you just drop them straight into water you literally drop them into water yep huh. interesting uh what's the problem with zinc uh so some wheel weights have zinc on them right well some wheel weights are zinc yeah so there's a great big mix with wheel weights um there's iron there's some some there's some kind of weird composite like a foam type thing that smoke really bad when you miss them and then there's the zinc so zinc it has a high melting temperature about 800 and some degrees and the danger is is that you miss them when you're sorting uh your wheel weights from lead from through different types because it'll basically go in and turn your melt into oatmeal and it's unusable if you miss it yeah, and I heard so it also don't makes miss it, it. it makes it a little no. too hard or something as well. If it does happen to get in there, if you if you end up using a tiny bit or whatever, right? Well, it's yeah, it, like I say, it just ends up so it's not doesn't have very good castability. And people are making bullets out of it though. Like they they'll separate it out. And I've always tossed the stuff I got, but uh, people are using it well for cannonballs and for and for bullet casting in areas where lead's getting hard to find or there's some kind of a legislation against lead bullets. Yeah. But it's higher temperature casting and it's got its own peculiarities to it. Well, I heard it's a little sorry, harder on the rifle sorry. barrels, can we, too. Can we go back to cannonballs real quick here? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Okay, tell me everything about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you can buy a mold for anything, right? Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. But, I mean, guys are shooting everything out of cannons. Like, they're filling uh, pop cans with cement and all kinds of stuff for, for shot. But, yeah, great big zinc uh, cannonballs and stuff. I don't, have, I don't have or shoot a cannon, but I read a little bit about it, and it looks like fun. Got to try that. <laughs> yeah. For sure. A cannon. Yeah. 
I like it. Well, completely legal muzzle loading, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can buy yeah. fuse almost anywhere, so. Yeah. Or anvil <laughs> tossing, that looks pretty good. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll talk For after sure. the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did the, uh, well, I guess, how did it go? Like when I'm walking around, does it cut out on your end? Because I've got my little table set no, that's up here. Good. For, okay, perfect. So I'll turn that's it good. around. So I'll go back to the lead if you got got a second uh, for this part of it. But yeah, the, absolutely. Okay, I'm just going to flip it around here. So all these bars, these are made in an angle iron mold that I had a welder buddy make. And I can do about a six pack of these in a shot. And I use a 30 pound turkey cooker like a 30-pound propane tank cut off with a traditional uh, turkey deep-frying stand to actually melt all this lead down. But it starts as this, and well, actually, I'll move around here. Here's a couple buckets of the good stuff yet. But it starts out like that, and that bucket could be anywhere from 25% to 50% to 75% lead, uh, depending on the mix, because all the uh, different types we spoke about, of the zinc, the iron, uh, all those wheel weights are all mixed, so I hand sort them. Some people will just throw them all in a pot and float them because every because the an, a steel one like this will float on lead, so it just floats out. But if you get it too hot and it's hard to to uh, keep your temperature exact with the turkey fryer, you'll melt that zinc like I was talking about. So it's best to hand sort it all. Gotcha. But yeah, and these are damn near pure lead, so you'd want to use this for shotgun slugs like these, for instance. They recommend pure lead for this. And for, say, buckshot like these, you're going to want that clip-on wheel weight. So everything's got its own application. This is 22 caliber F buckshot. Since Ian was looking at, at uh, shotgun molds, I decided to lay these ones out. These are the Sharpshooter brand that's uh, probably not available anymore. Yeah, they're no longer being made, them? supposedly. Yeah, yeah. And so this is a thing, if you're going shotgun uh shot molding you probably need a little clipper like this to cut the sprues off it's the handiest thing ever slug molds for making these this is about a maybe a 50 dollar mold but sorry go, go ahead yeah, i think i think we're losing ian <laughs> yeah he's gone yeah okay he'll be back in a second i'm sure oh for sure well that's kind of that part of it anyways you guys can take it over so the whole idea is, so the whole idea is you you melt you, you identify your different metals, sort them out. Uh, once you find the metal that you want to use to to make your bullet out of, you you heat it in your turkey um, turkey fryer setup, yeah, and then pour it into the mold, mold it the way you want. And is that basically well, a rundown or? It's a, a few steps short. So there's the step where yep. you've got your your raw metal here, and then you yep. put it into your turkey fryer and you get it to here to the ingot. And then you want to take yep. it over to here. This is your this is your melter, your melting okay. pot. So you'd only want clean metal going into this. Gotcha. So this is about twenty pounds inside here, and it's got a bottom pour. I can show you down here. So that's how I prefer this type of pot. But this over here is a diff- is a just a top dipping type of pot as well. So both okay. are electric, but uh, but that's the two basic options. You can use just a camp stove really and an iron pot if you want to it's it doesn't have to be high tech they've been doing this ever since there's been firearms for hundreds of years they started out on a wood fire so it's as high or low tech as you want to go okay yeah, my, my dad used to reload years ago and that he used the camp stove and the iron pot and just uh the hand pour yeah and you produce perfectly uniform good ammunition that way as well there's another um 
step with it like you can get as intricate as you want but all these here, i'll flip around again all these different projectiles and stuff that, that are that i've got here are different uh different purposes these are say nine millimeter and you've got your rifle bullet this one's a 312 for say an sks or something similar to that and powder coated that's a another big thing but it's this part this is a gas check bullet so this is going to go a little fat be pushed a little faster but you don't need super fancy you can go pretty basic right okay they don't now would you intentionally um get away from pure like a pure lead and alloy with something else or would you uh try and keep it as close to just lead as you can oh no absolutely pure lead is uh pure lead's a specialized thing alloys are for everything else um the, the lead is kind of what everybody calls it but yeah the the pure lead actually you'll you'll blend it off you'll mix it at a perhaps a 30 to 1 ratio or depending on what you're doing that's lead to 10 30 to 1 that's a soft for a say a hunting bullet or something um but usually, you know, you're never going to use pure lead for much other than, say, slugs or muzzle loaders, typically. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And is there is there anything? I mean, is there any other way to kind of tweak your uh, tweak your process to kind of get a customized a customized projectile? For sure, absolutely. So you can you can go from first thing by getting the right alloy. You can pretty much customize that. You can do the things. I've got these crazy, these colors going on here. I guess, I don't know if you can really see it, but these are, yep. all this is powder coating. And that's another massive step in the right direction for, um, for kind of modernizing the process because it now can eliminate a lot of the vapors we were speaking about. Um, when you shoot, you'll get smoke. And a lot of that's the lube burning that you'll put on the bullets to, to basically help obturation and seal the bore. But the, but the powder coating is starting to allow, in the last few years of other people's experimentation, I'm not an expert, but I do look into it, and uh, it's basically stopping a lot of the leading issues. It's, it's reducing the need for gas checks, and it's making it a little safer because you're not handling the, uh, the actual lead projectile. Your hands don't get as dirty, and you're not getting basically grease and wax everywhere as you handle your ammunition. Hmm. So powder coating is one of those things. What's the powder made out of? Is it like just like a bake-on kind of uh, material, or is it? Yeah, literally a bake-on material. It's the same stuff you'd use for car rims. I think a lot of them are polyester-based, um, but you can get any color you want. I currently use green, blue, purple, that kind of a thing, and it it just bakes on in a toaster oven. I literally started with just a little toaster oven and graduated up to a large um, countertop oven so I could have double-decker um batches going and then i started then i started making a jig in these little pans so i could have six pans on the go and i would have a jig so i could fill each one and kind of get production going a little quicker as long as you can hit 400 degrees it works now does that yeah. does that power coating yeah. affect the diameter it does it'll, it'll bump you up about two thou um but it depends on how you do your steps because with cast bullets fit is is everything so you have to go through and slug your bore with a pure lead slug to determine your groove diameter. And then you want to go, as a rule of thumb, about a thousand higher than that to get good sealing and obturation and prevent leading. So if you just take a size bullet, say this one would be 357, and then you coated it, it'd probably be 358, 359. But if you coat it first and then size it, it slicks right through the, right through the, uh, 
sizing die and it and that in your finished diameter is your finished diameter so i hmm. personally did coat first size second interesting hmm. Hmm. No, it's really interesting um so yeah back to the uh, casting or sorry the um melting process i, I kind of dropped out the internet there for about five minutes did we talk about that already yep. yeah a, a little bit yeah the the mostly the scrap you know the converting scrap to ingots and and that mostly yeah uh, any specialized, like as far as a melting pot goes, I've seen people use cast iron pans and uh, like production pots from Lee and everything else. Do you use uh, something particular? Yeah, you bet. I'm going to take a, a walk back over to my spot here. Actually, I'll just drag my stool with me. Probably easier. Um, so, yeah, this is a, the, the one I've got. I was already kind of showing this, but again, this is an RCBS 20 pounder. So, it's a bottom pour. It's loaded right now, but uh, it's got molten alloy in it. Just to, I had to reduce some stuff, and this is a Lyman Big Dipper. But as I was noting before, that it doesn't have to be this this complex. But this bottom pour option is great for if you were to do buckshotty, and you probably want something similar to this. You can just screw this up, this open, and then you can literally pour lead out of the bottom into your multi cavity mold. It's probably the fastest, most efficient way of doing it. Excellent. But and then this is another huge step in the process. That's pretty simple. You've got a lot of stuff around your home that you can use for casting. None of this is hot, just this. So just a simple hot plate will speed up and make your life so much easier because it preheats everything. If you're done with a mold, you can set it on there and it stays mostly warm. So you, because if your mold cools down when you're working, then you have to restart and get it up to temperature again. And that also is a safety feature because if you take an ingot that had some, uh, had some moisture trapped somewhere in it and you were to throw it directly into this pot, that steam explosion or the tinsel fairy showing up at your door would be <laughs> avoided. So preheating is huge. The tinsel fairy sounds so harmless. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of. Yeah. But no. <laughs> the rest of this stuff I've got here is sizing equipment. So this is a Lyman sizer. It, it has a reservoir in the back in here that'll take sticks like this inside and it'll grease the grooves on the bullets as it sizes them and it'll also apply the gas check which is this partial portion of the bullet so it will grease it and size it at the same time and there's a die in here of whatever diameter you want and a separate nose punch for whatever profile but for powder coating this is much easier this is the lee so i've got a bullet lined up on it right now and it's simple you would just push it through if that was bolted down it would work a lot better and it goes up and it catches in the container and you fill the container only halfway or else you'll spill it everywhere. Ask me how I know. But <laughs> Awesome. And but just yeah. to, so the gas checks are just to create a gas seal and get a better uh, propulsion behind the bullet, right? You bet. So the, the main co uh, cause of leading on in a, in a rifle's barrel or a pistol's barrel is gas cutting. And it's basically cutting behind this ring and around this ring. So that's the, the purpose of this grease. And if you've got that that gas check on there, it allows you to push it to a higher velocity as well as having the right the right lubrication on there. But as I was noting before, these two are both 30 caliber, but this coating may eliminate the need for all of this grease and possibly the gas check too. All right. And so uh, as far as casting goes, you can also make, like we were talking cannonballs, but you can make like uh, fishing weights. You can make all sorts of everything for like- You bet, right here. This for all you sea bar fishermen. Here's a weight for your triangle bar weights. And here's another another one for smaller Alberta style jackfish sinkers. 
So, yeah, you can make all of this kind of stuff pretty easily. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah. And then, of course, you've got all the little things that go with it. I mean, you've got tools and you know, you know, all the little things that go with it. But, I mean, gloves are pretty pretty key, you know, welder's gloves. And, of course, my fancy P100, you have to have that for smelting. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I guess uh... – yeah, you don't want to stick with just like a, a little dust mask and then you want to make sure that's good and solid seal just like anything else, right? Yeah, and well, this one, it eliminates the, the need for a face shield. I mean, I've peeled all kinds of lead off the off the face plate of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Better than out of my forehead, right? Well, exactly. It's, it's you know, a little bit of broken, or melted plastic's no big deal, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Okay, so no assume, doubt. assuming that uh, we don't want to, like, cast, or maybe this is a little too much for a lot of people, um, if you end up scrounging or finding a lead supply and you melt some down into some ingots, is it possible to sell this stuff? Absolutely. Um, ingots are worth hmm, probably a buck a pound to a buck fifty a pound without shipping. Uh, you can sp- sell cleaned ingots for, but the problem is it kind of roots back to the, the zinc thing that I mentioned before. People who, who do this a fair bit, they're, they're pretty wary of other people's um, melting habits, and if they haven't properly sorted and cleaned if they're buying contaminated product basically so if ensuring that you have uh clean wheel weight ingots there yeah a buck to a buck and a half a pound depending on where you are if you can find it i traded probably i don't know probably a thousand pounds worth of lead off so far and i've gotten all three presses that are sitting on my bench right now in trade so it's got excellent barter value oh that's all right yeah yeah yeah, they're very, it's yeah. kind of like using other people's reloads. Uh, same thing, you know, it's <laughs> a little wariness involved with that, right? Yeah, well, and the thing is, is you'll never know until you melt it and try it. It's not like it's going to explode on you. It's just going to not work. <laughs> so, so now, assuming you do a little bit of uh, range uh, scrounging at the, in the berm there and you pick up a couple, uh, you know, uh, spent bullets that have, like, the copper jacketing on them, you melt them down, the copper floats to the top, right? Yeah, you bet. But if you've got the encapsulated kind, you just crack them with a pair of pliers yeah. to expose the core so that it'll basically drain out. Now, with that copper, uh, I know copper's got a higher melting temperature as well as brass and everything else. Is it worth your time to even try and melt that in digits or just sell it by the bucket? or is there? No, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't bother personally. I mean, the spot price is high, but the fact is is that it's, it's you almost have to have a backyard kiln set up, okay. like an actual smelting, smelting set up, and yeah, it would take you so much time and so much propane and everything else, man. Yeah, I see those guys with the, uh, the there's like an old crock pot that's been converted to a propane burning kind of mini kiln or something. And it seems like, yeah, they're putting a lot of energy out there just to get a brass ingot or something. Well, and it's cool. I mean, you know, really, I think it's on a mini, mini project scale. It's awesome, but I, I'd love to build one. But I mean, I don't think it's really worthwhile. I mean, if you're going to cast your own cool stuff in sand or whatever you're doing, awesome. But yeah, even guys that are using cartridge brass and stuff like that, it no, it looks excellent, but I don't think it has much for uh, paying potential, I guess. That's fair enough. Uh, so, roughly, any idea what it's costing you for, like, a round of buckshot or a, round, a slug versus, like, store-bought, if you're mm. casting yourself? Well, with component and powder prices today, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a little bit crazy. I mean, I'm seeing 65 bucks a pound for powder um, where I'm at. Mm. So, um, I used to be able to, my, my old calculation was maybe 20 cents, but it depends on how you do it. Because yeah. if you're counting a shell, an empty, yeah, or not. Well, because I mean, like, so you pick up the uh, a lot of these uh, shells and or uh, brass cartridges at the range and everything else. But 
Yeah, right now they're charging like what a buck fifty or almost two bucks a shot for slugs, and uh, at least a buck around on a good day for a buck shot. So yeah, I guess there's still some savings there. Well, you can probably do it for a quarter. Yeah. Realistically, yeah. Yeah. It, depending, if you're one of those guys that wants to pay himself his working rate, twenty, twenty-five bucks, fifty bucks an hour, whatever to reload. Well, can't <laughs> help lose, you. You're losing money. Yeah. Like yeah. I actually, I had that discussion with a buddy of mine too. He's like, "Well, my my normal hourly wage is like sixty-five bucks an hour." I'm like, "Yeah, but you're not working right now." So I mean, like, definitely works eight hours a day. So, you know, like yeah. the rest of the time is just if you're saving money, you're just not spending money at least. So, um, yeah. last thing I want to talk about is like actual like a, a shotgun shot dripper, like you know where they drop it into the. Uh, the uh, fabric softener and water mix and stuff. Uh, have you mm-hmm. ever played with one of those at all? No, I haven't. I've been watching some of the some of the same videos you have probably. And yeah. the little shot maker, the, the the crazy Russian guy. That looks interesting. They they have some pretty low tech stuff, but it looks pretty effective. Yeah, they're basically just taking like uh, what amounts to nuts and bolts, drilling holes through them, and then you know, judging by the size of the holes and how they they roll it down a ramp into the water, uh, yep. they're creating their own box shot, which is the original way they used to do it back in the eighteen hundreds, right? But, yeah. uh, I mean, like, for the price of what they're charging for, like, lead shot nowadays, and that's the biggest cost right now is the projectiles, whether it be bullets or shot shells. I figure yeah. it uh, might be something worth looking at down the road myself, so. Oh, for sure, and from a prepper point of view, I mean, having the ability to make, it doesn't mean you necessarily are going to do it every weekend or whatever, but the, but just to know you can is, is excellent. I mean, if you could get something like number four bird shot made in your own backyard, well, that's a pretty big advantage because that's pretty versatile. Yeah, no, I thought it was uh, kind of a neat subject to talk about for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even on the, the shot shell reloading front, um, the part of the advantage to, to the, the molds and the projectiles I was showing you back there, they're a little different than a factory-made shell because they'll use a trap or a field load wad. So they're basically a sub-gauge slug. So they'll fit, instead of being uh, like a cylinder bore, an actual true diameter slug that just rips down the barrel with uh, like spacer wads behind them. These ones are actually in a, in a, in a commonly available shot cup. So now you're not getting leading in your bore. You can actually, you know, you can load them up exactly like a trap shell. People will take cheap Walmart shells. They'll open up the crimp, pour the lead into their, into their mold, basically heat it up, pour it back, and then just put it back with that same load into that same shot shell and recrimp it and fire it. That's a really good idea. I never thought of that. Yeah, that's that pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So, Acuri, want to talk quickly about with your uh, throwing bullets. Like, so is it? Yes, yeah, so we're losing it again. We're getting into the accuracy. Normally, as far as uh, factory ammo, better. Uh, what's your thoughts? Well, it, it it really does depend. I mean, you're trying to compare it with premium jacketed ammo. You can you can get on par probably minute of angle with it. I mean, if you, if you finicky, if you're finicky enough to play with it, um, it depends on your use. If you're looking for high velocity, whiz bang, super sniping accuracy, if that's even such a thing, uh, well, it's kind of, it's possible, but I mean, as far as just somebody pouring, pouring, uh, practice loads and stuff, I mean, you can do what minute of angle at a hundred yards, 200 yards. Yeah, for sure. It's possible without too much work. And if we're starting to look for, like, uh, setting this up at our own place, where would we be looking for molds and such? Is there a certain spot you like to go to? Well, yeah, there's, well, um, there's a kind of a clearinghouse of stuff. There's a, I don't know if I can promote another a website oh, on absolutely. Your yep, go okay. for it. So castbullets.gunloads.com is the best resource for pretty much all things casting. I've spent tons of time there learning, and those guys are a lot of, 
lot of fellows with a lot of years, and there's a swapping and selling section. It's primarily U.S. oriented, but they've okay. got information on group buys from uh, a, a Slovakian mold maker. Uh, the company's Mihak, and he makes beautiful brass multi-cavity molds. He also makes clone molds of uh, other other company stuff that's either out of production or whatever, but premium molds there. And Lyman Lee, of course, makes a decent mold, and they're very commonly available. Okay. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And lots of information out there. Like if you can find a mentor, somebody who's already doing it, like somebody mentored me probably 10, 15 years ago, uh, a provincial, uh, provincial level shooter here in black powder. And he, he was very, very good at just getting a person into the door, showing you how to do it. I mean, if you can find somebody in your area awesome. to, to help you out, it yeah, makes all the difference. That's kind of the key for anything in the preparedness world is find someone that can show you the way and, and learn from them. So it's for sure. And yeah, so, I'm kind of disappointed when my uh, when my dad sold his place. I had had I known then what I know now, um, we sold a bunch of his uh, molds and all that stuff. I would have hung on to them. So, like he had, he had, I mean, you name it, he had it: forty fives, forties, thirty eights, three eighties. What he had, dozens of them. Yeah. Wow. And they're like anything else. I mean, they have expiry date if they're not taken care of, like any piece of equipment and rust can ruin them. But if they're looked after, like all mine take a bath in fluid film after I'm done with them. And they're good years later if I never touch that particular one again. So, What are we looking at cost-wise for like equipment, molds, and all that, just roughly? Sky's the limit. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> well, it is. It's the rabbit hole, right? I think yep. I, I actually bought a lot of my stuff used initially. Um, I sold the rifle I wasn't using and bought okay. a casting package with that pot and everything. And I, for 500 bucks, I had four multi-cavity molds and a melter and a few of the small tools. I probably got a grand into it or better by now, but really, who's okay. counting? It's probably more. Fair enough. But you can go basic. doesn't yep. have to be that bad. Okay. Yeah, but like you said, once you get going down that rabbit hole, then... <laughs> hide the bank card and hide the visa card right yep yeah. or you like you said you can trade and swap stuff too right so oh it's, it's huge well that. there is one problem with it though you're the guy yeah. at the range who shows up and your buddy brings two boxes of shells and you show up with a folgers can yeah you kind of look like a dick <laughs> if you don't share so fair enough yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right what else do we have here uh as far as resources i think we touched on that um as far as websites to go to um any any kind of books or anything else like that that you would suggest outside of websites or for sure absolutely the, the lyman cast bullet handbook has been around for i don't know 50 years or so but it's very comprehensive as well as lee's modern reloading they've got a whole section with excellent data on pretty much every common cartridge you can imagine with cast bullets and that's pretty huge um okay yeah and there's one more thing um it's there's it's a sticky, but it's actually from a fellow from the LA Shooting Club. It's called from ingot to target. It's about that thick when you print it because I did, and it's everything you need to know melting to from ingot to target. It's very comprehensive. You can get guys that have nice. 50 years experience. They'll tell you. They're happy right, to share. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome. What uh, else? What else do we need to know as as new uh, as new re or the new casters? What's uh, What's the, the last the last little bit of the what we should do? Scrounge quickly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, actually, I kind of wonder. Like, uh, are gun ranges usually receptive to you? Like, going and you know, ask be asked them ahead of time, going and digging in the berms on like when the range is closed one day or something. 
It's 50-50. I mean, they probably had bad experiences with somebody tearing up the, the berms like a badger and just leaving it in rough shape. If you talk to, if you know somebody, a lot of them are really, really good as long as you're showing that you're that guy who will repair and not, not abuse the abuse it. Some of them are good. Other ones, they'll, they'll if they catch you doing it unauthorized, they'll run you right off the range. I never have had that happen, but I know it does. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, because I, yeah, I got a couple berms of my place that are like sand anyway right now. It would be hard to like shovel it right back up where you found it and sift it into a wheelbarrow and everything else. But I built a screener uh, yeah. over a wheelbarrow, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Interesting. I think that's pretty much all we had, didn't we? Yeah, we've got uh, one question in the live chat here. I'll throw up. It's just from uh, from Terry. He's just asking. We'll go back to the tumbling and everything. Uh, when you talk of les- lead hazard uh, from tumbling, is there any issue with tumbling your brass? Yeah, that's exactly it. That that's exactly where it comes from. Um, whether you're using uh, jacketed ammunition factory, whatever it is, there's sometimes there's lead stiffenate in the primers. Depending on which brand you're using, there might be lead from the priming compound, and that's exactly where it comes from. Is tumbling your brass with dry dry media. Right. So it's dust. Sure, the answer is yes. There is there is a hazard yeah. with that, and you should be using oh. all your proper PPE while you're doing anything involving making metal dusty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, before I forget, Terry, uh, drop us an email when you can. Just want to uh, ask you a quick question, if you don't mind. Ooh, you're in trouble, Terry. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah you're in trouble <laughs> now, Terry. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see here. That's right. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. We covered everything off. At least a basic, uh, basic walkthrough of this, anyways, to help uh, get people started. Oh, that's great. That's for a lot sure. more than I knew when we started the podcast. Yeah. Well, something tells me we'll have to get you back on for uh, part two. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure we will. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I foresee a lot of questions coming into the inbox after uh, after this episode. So for sure, we'll have to get you back in. Sounds good. I'm sure we will. Sounds so, good. Podcast challenge time. Sure. So your podcast challenge for this week, see if you can find a free source of scrap metal in your area. Check out your tire shops, check out your scrap yards, check out wherever you might be able to find it. See if there's uh, see if you can if you can get access to it. And I heard one that- quick note. Yep. Sorry, stay away from batteries. No play. <laughs> no good. Batteries yeah, bad. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. That's funny cuz yep. it used to be lead acid, now I guess it's it's NICAT or it's all changed, right? Even if there is lead, it's not worth the chemical exposure. And, yeah, yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad gas in uh, in, yeah. in batteries. Um, I heard dental film is also a, a source, but that's a pretty mediocre and t- tedious, time-consuming version. Are you mean? Are you meaning uh, like as in shielding from X-ray rooms and walls? Or Ooh. that's a good one, actually. It's dead soft. Well, we never and, even thought of that. And isotope containers as well. They're about no. that big around, that tall, and about five pounds of pure goodness. Dead I soft. See, like the, uh, you get the oh. little uh, lead. Yeah, I think we're losing Ian again. We're getting getting bits and pieces of his pigeons, and that's about it. <laughs> so. All right. Upcoming Jeremy. events. Nothing again. COVID. Damn you. Yep. Damn you, COVID. Yep. So. But we do no. have a deal of the week. We do. And our deal of the week comes from Best Buy. I don't know if this is an in-store as well or just a web-only promotion, but Best Buy has a two-pack of uh, Cobra Refurb FRS radios, 35 bucks for the pair. Now, my Cobra radios are getting close to 15 years old, and they still work just, just as well as the day they st- I bought them. The batteries are long gone, but they take just three, triple, or three AA's, and they're ready to rock. 
There you go. And they actually do right now. They're selling for like seventy-five bucks a pair, so it's half yeah. off. There you go. Yeah, that's right. And if they're factory refurb, who cares? Yeah. Okay. Right, so moving to some shoutouts. I got nothing. Nope, nothing. nothing well, I'll shout out Josh. Thanks for coming on. This yeah. was hugely informative. Well, thanks very much for the invite, guys. Appreciate it. Right. Uh, email at iTunes reviews. Big blank on that one. Uh, Nobody emailed uh, this week. Wah, wah. And no new iTunes reviews. Yeah. And I, and I haven't complained about one stars in a while, and we haven't gotten any, so. Okay. I can leave well, that one if you want. <laughs> yeah, no, let's just leave it the way it is. <laughs> no need for me to go on tangents about one stars because I haven't done it in a while, so. Well, with that, I will bring episode number 108 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or, of course, your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Submit a review. It does help other people find us. As long as it's not a one-star. We do record... Yeah, do that. <laughs> uh, we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want an early peek at the shows, find us on either of those media uh, under the Pre- Canadian Prepper Podcast and click the notifications tab that gives you an alert when we are going live if you want to get a hold of me directly uh it's alan that's with one l at prepperpodcast.ca so if anybody wants to get a hold of uh jeff or josh you can uh, send an email into feedback at prepperpodcast.ca and i will make sure that it gets directed to them all right you can reach ian directly by emailing me at the western retreat at gmail.com and now on Gab at the Western Retreat. Um, just a reminder: started the Gab page, self reliance and homesteading Canada. We've got three listeners on there. We need more. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube. There you can find us discussing why government waste in society makes me consider scrounging for lead. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there you go. All right, Josh and Jeff, thank you very much for coming out this evening. I uh, appreciate thank your you. information and, and your knowledge, and, and being willing to come out and share it is uh, is great because I'm sure it helps uh, all the listeners out. So. Much appreciated, and I'm sure we'll have you back when a few more questions come in, or if you want to come back and join us on another episode, as always, you're welcome to come join. Uh, so you can check me out at uh, rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there while uh, on the live chat while you're buying some prepper gear. You can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So thanks for joining us this evening, and until next time, be prepared, stay safe. Get some better internet, Ian.